Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Charlotte. I'm Luke. I'm Captain Captain Dingway, the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Dingway, the USS Voyager. Welcome to the greatest generation, Voyager. It's a Star Trek podcast from a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. This may sound a little different than the show normally does because we're in a big concrete, boomy room that has right. terrible acoustics. Uh, I leaned some foam things up in a couple of places, but it's not helping. Oh, yeah. Is that why it looks like the killing floor of a slaughterhouse in here? That's for something that I'm going to do later mm. to you. All right. Uh, <laughs> You're going to need a floor squeegee because I'm not seeing any floor drains in here. Shall we get into the mailbag, Adam? Let's get into it. Captain, I'm sorry to disturb you. I'm receiving a code 47. Verify. It is code 47, sir. Starfleet emergency frequency. Captain's eyes only. This first package is from Mike H. in something something New Jersey. That's one of the exits up the turnpike, right? Is TWP short for township? Something township, maybe. Hey, Ben and Adam. My wife loves me, but she did not love Star Trek The Cruise. She was gracious enough to agree to go with me, but once we got there, she immediately regretted her decision. Wow. (laughs) To make matters worse, I asked her to renew our vows during a group renewal ceremony led by Major Kira herself, the non-visitor. Wow. When cleaning up, I stumbled onto the renewal certificate, and instead of framing a keepsake from a family memory only half of us want to remember, I'm sending it to you. I'm really Thanks. worried about Mike and uh, Tiffany's marriage. <laughs> They're doing fine. They're doing exactly what they want to do. I mean, this does come from both of them, according to the top of this letter. There's so much more to our cruise debacle. If you're ever in Philadelphia again for a live show, hooves on me and I'll share. It's funny, mostly, I promise. Stay safe and well, Mike H. P.S. They spelled my wife's name wrong. Is Tiffany Wits her mirror universe counterpart? Tiffany Wits is not her actual name. I'm going to show these people the, the certificate. Renewal of Vows certificate. Star Trek The Cruise 2. Michael and Tiffany have together after two years of marriage on this joyous day of January 6th. Oh, no. <laughs> it had to be January 6th, didn't it? Well, at least we know where they were on January 6th. <laughs> So uh, that is signed. A question that personally I'm pretty tired of answering. Yeah, yeah. People always want to know where you were, Adam. Uh, that was signed by Nanam Visitor herself. So uh, that's pretty amazing. Pretty nice uh, bit of Star Trek memory there. Our next package here is from Jay Kirkpatrick in El Cerrito, California, a place I know quite well from my childhood. Um, it's to us. This is for Ben and Adam. For Ben and Adam's Coco Nonos from James. Wow. There's no note as far as I can tell. Wait, is there a note in here? What this is, is a daiquiri cocktail book from Havana, Adam. Oh, uh, that's what you want. This is mostly in Spanish, it looks like. Oh, there's there's English too. The greatest bar on earth. Is that what the bar is called? I think that's its reputation. Oh. The cath- Cathedral of the Daiquiri. That's probably the only church I'm interested in going to. The La Catedral del Daiquiri is is translated as the cradle of the daiquiri cocktail, which uh, I did not, I never put that etymology together. But uh, that's great. This is a whole, this is a, a 
long book with a lot of cocktails in it. I, uh, no pictures at all in that book. Yeah, it is, uh, is graphic-free because graphics are the work of imperialist capitalists, right? Right. I really love the like layout and fonts and stuff, though. It's really gorgeous. I wish Jay had sent a, a note. This is this is amazing. I I I, I hope to make some uh, some drinks. Oh, there are some graphics in here. Look at that. There is an advertisement for Hatui Cuban beer. Amazing. Wow. Thank you, Jay, for sending that in. Let's start to get to some of these bigger packages. Look at this one. This one's from Defested. Defested's our friend. Yeah, in uh, in Wisconsin, we we hung out with Defested at the STLV pool party that we threw. I'm guessing Defested is in the chat, just from... I hope so. Defested has a bit of a rep for showing up in the chat. Yeah, Defested has other reps too, Mm -hmm. but we'll never tell. Adam and Ben at hashtag STLV2021. I was incredibly surprised to learn that your Romulan Picard doll, pronounced action figure, did not come with the Romulan soup bowl attachment. This seemed wrong. It is wrong. It's a wrong that must be righted within mm-hmm. this package is your very own Romulan bowl with a bonus Romulan Picard accessory. Also, during a re-listen, I noticed a mention of Spotted Cow in DS9 Season 6, Episode 10, which is brewed only 20 miles from my house and also what? happens to be one of my favorite beers. Hey, good Adam, taste. Adam had been hoarding it, and Ben never got a chance to try it. It's true. As the beer is not available outside of Wisconsin, I thought I'd send some too. Cue me looking up the legality of shipping beer and then becoming sad and confused. <laughs> yeah. I can, I can relate to that, Defested. So I promise to bring some to your next live show in Wisconsin. Y'all are awesome, and your pods helped me through one of the worst depressions of my life. I know I'm not alone here. For everyone that you have helped through serious times with your consistent tick and fart jokes, thank you, Defested. Thank you, Defested. Thank you, Defested. That was really sweet to say. That is really sweet to say. As a person who has battled depression in my life, I am always super flattered to hear things like that. Um, I, I, I hope uh, our show is a tool for people in that way. I mostly hope that our show is a tool. <laughs> well, we never set out to make it that, but uh, right. but it's kind of cool that it is. Sorry, I'm going to unveil this action figure, Adam. All right. Wow, it really does come with a soup bowl with attached spoon down there. That is excellent. Why did they include the spoon? That's so funny to me. Wow. <laughs> Man, this is great. Did they describe it as... Garbage soup that Picard hates. I'll see if I can read something about the soup on the back. Romulan bowl, common vessel <laughs> used for consumption of traditional Rom- Romulan victuals. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's fine. I mean, the the other characters that they advertise on here are pretty fun. They've got Geordi that turns into invisible Geordi. Uh-huh. Lieutenant Commander of the Forge reporting for duty, Captain. They've got... Uh, Riker on that first contact away mission where right. BB New Earth wants to do him. We shouldn't fear the unknown. We should embrace it. Troy in uniform. There's more to being a bridge officer than memorizing technical manuals. And Hugh the Borg. You. Oh, no, wait a minute. And, and Lieutenant Barkley. I look forward to your report, Mr. Broccoli. Oh, yeah, even Barkley gets one. Hmm. We don't hmm. have a Ronnie Cox action figure. Oh, man. I wonder if they ever made a, a Ronnie Cox action figure. I don't want to talk about it. Get it done. They made an action figure for Romulo Picard. <laughs> They're not going to give us a Jellico? 
Seems like they should have given us a Jellico. Yeah. I, I don't know why they didn't. All right, Adam, just two more packages left here. Really? You're really cruising through these. Listen, there's more packages, but I I don't want the Marin on this episode to be like 45 minutes long. Yeah, that's true. Uh, this is from Mark A. in Champaign, Illinois, and it is to Friends of DeSoto. Wow. So it's not really to us. No. We're no friends of that man. <laughs> I think we are. I think we do. We count as friends they, of Desoto. They came for Desoto, and I said nothing. Jesus, <laughs> you were you too. You were too busy storming the capital. Apparently, that is not true. <laughs> We've got a letter. It's a, a thank you letter. Dear Ben and Adam, a few years ago, I went through a pretty rough patch in my life, and one of the things that helped me get through it was the two of you. Binging through the next gen and DS9 episodes was a delight, and made each day a little better. I'm doing great now, but I still wanted to send something to thank you for all the jokes and Chris Brenner drops. <laughs> I'm Chris Brenner. Brenner Information Systems. You know, interface, operations, net access, channel 90. That Chris Brenner. <laughs> this Thomas Riker action figure is my favorite, not because he was only in two episodes out of like 400, but because he's wearing the wrong uniform. Whoa. Mm. I think they may have just stuck his head on an O'Brien figure. Who knows? Anyways, I hope you enjoy it. And thanks again for being rad, Mark. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Man, that is totally the wrong uniform because he was in he was in red when he was on Deep Space Nine. Yeah. But he was also in like the he was in the ship version of the red uniform, not the station version of the red uniform. Thomas Riker should have uh, detachable facial hair though, and it should be purple. Yeah, let's look at these sideburns. Doesn't look like those come off. <laughs> there should be like a switch on the back, you know, like a, like action burns. Yeah. This is great. Let's look at the characters advertise here. Vash you could get. You could get Deep Space Nine Edition Vash. You sure this place is safe? You could get uh, Deep Space Nine Edition Q. Quite a motley crew you've assembled here, Benji. And uh, C- Captain Picard in a Deep Space Nine uniform. This can't be real. Oh, I guess they kind of explain it a little bit here on the back. It says Lieutenant Riker in Star Trek Deep Space Uh-oh. Nine uniform. There it is. <laughs> there it is, folks. That's the Riker. This package is from Kenneth M. in Medford, Ma. to Ben and Adam. Getting it open. All right, here we go. Dear Ben and Adam, we hope you enjoy this mutated Tom Paris action figure, complete with three mutant offspring from the Star Trek Voyager Season 2 episode, Threshold. Your review of it hasn't aired yet, so we can only assume it's your favorite episode so far. Correct. Thanks for your top-notch podcasting over the years. Greatest Generation and Greatest Discovery are bright spots in dark times. May you enjoy your journey through the Delta Quadrant. Here's to the bits, Sarah and Ken. Wow, thank you, Sarah and Ken. And here is the action figure. He's just as grotesque as I remember. It's tongue-barfing edition. (laughs) Oh, I guess this is post-tongue-barfing, right? He, He was more, like, flaky at that point, and at this point he's starting to look like a salamander man. They did get the expression right, like some sort of weird pride expression <laughs> yeah to the gross things he's doing i want to open the box because the the offspring are not visible in the in the packaging i really want to see what they look like they're <laughs> very funny from the back if you can see them from the back wait till you see them from the front adam <laughs> i like that he comes with three offspring and a phaser <laughs> now that's a cute baby there's no, like, coloring on it 
for the eyes, but it is it is uh, shaded a little bit on the top of the head. I wish they'd. Uh, you can't tell who it takes after. Yeah. So we got three of those. We got a red phaser. Again, a thing that totally sent me up the wall when I was a kid because I was like, the phasers aren't red. This is wrong. You had a really deep voice as a child. <laughs> yeah, gotten less mature as I've aged. <laughs> uh, man, that is it looks really like great. a nice corduroy suit jacket situation happening there. Yeah. That is really terrific. Thank you to everyone who sent stuff in to us uh, for this exciting Marin Open. We've been streaming this on our Twitch stream. And if you're a listener and just hearing about this, make sure to follow the Greatest Trek Twitch account because we do this from time to time and we're having a lot of fun doing it. It's usually a lot better than this. (laughs) Now, Adam... Let's get to the episode we came to talk about today. Oh, yeah. Let's do it. It's one of my favorites. It's an episode you haven't seen yet. It's season two, episode 24, Tuvix. Oh, it is the Tuvix episode. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your turf. At a false alarm. Uh, <laughs> what? I know I know. we just got out of the Marin and into the episode, but uh, we got a frantic text message from Bill Tilly after our Twitch stream. You know what you never want after a Twitch stream is Bill Tilly, normally like the the least flapped person in the world, moderator of your Twitch stream, (laughs) texting you, there's been an incident. (laughs) Apparently, the entire time we were doing that, there was a box sitting out in front of everyone that we didn't notice, but everybody on the stream did. Yeah. That we didn't open. So we got to open it right now. We looked like such idiots. Moments ago. Adam, this uh, this last <laughs> box is from Clara in Goodlitzville, Tennessee. Oh, wow. I love Tennessee. I mean, parts of it. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Adam. I need to ask Ben a question real fast, but rest assured, I got you both something. Huh. Back when lockdown was still in full effect, months before y'all started twitching, you showed off your collection of gifts from live shows on Instagram or something. You told a tale of bringing one sculpy nubbin bug from the Vegas con to show some folks that work inside the pocket what they ought to bring back in the new shows. Uh-huh. Was that a bit or did you really tote that thing with you to show someone officially Trek affiliated? If so, and even if not so, I am both flattered and mortified that I talked myself out of spring for a basic trapper keeper for storage. That's great. I just plunked that thing in a re-re-reused gift box full of tissue paper and hoped only a few toes would fall off in transit. In efforts to rectify my lack of foresight and realize Adam's idea of downsizing to brooch proportions, please accept <laughs> these superior little life forms now in less embarrassing containers. Thanks for the hours of entertainment that make good soundtrack for hours of crafting, as now I'm planning to be at STLV next year with an alien cosplay or two. Hey! Hope to see you there. Hit me up if you ever want some homemade loaf, conspiratorially, Carly the Cardassian Smith. P.S. 24, effectively gross, is my birthday episode of TGG. Awesome! I love hearing about people's birthday episodes. This is great. The box that this comes in, it's a very Starfleet official looking box. What's uh, in the box? Wow. I've seen a, a lot of homemade nubbin bugs over the years. We both have. <laughs> we have. But I got to say, that one is among the best we've seen. It, the colors feel very true to screen. The colors are great. Very screen accurate. There's one for each of us. 
And uh, wow, the, we'll put since since this wasn't on the stream, we'll have to send some pictures to Bill Tilly to put up on the Instagram. But, are uh, they always, are they brooches? Like, do they have little clips on the back? I can't tell. They do we can cool. uh, we can buy Kirk action jackets and uh, and pin them on, and then people will think we've confused nubbin bugs for seti eels. But we'll we'll know the truth. Yeah, it'll be fun to walk through Star Trek Las Vegas just having our cosplay corrected by people. <laughs> <laughs> it's super fun to wear something and then. Have have people well actually you yeah as you go I, I think from- that actually gives you license to roundhouse kick them into a glass table right yeah <laughs> sure does all right i'm gonna Adam, take we gotta glass- get to this episode people are gonna kill us if we don't start talking about the episode one of the longest marins ever leading <laughs> up to one of the most significant episodes of star trek voyager huh it sure is. It's still season two, episode 24, Tuvix. Reaper course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes, I'm not turning around. Ben, it is a great day for an away team mission to collect flowers. Mm-hmm. Love an away team mission. Neelix and Tuvok are odd coupling their way through this thing. If you're like, hey, there's some nutritious flowers down there, who should we send? Let's send the tactical guy and the morale guy down. <laughs> <laughs> and an also, obvious choice. <laughs> the numbers are great too. Let's just start with two and see what happens. The idea of them being down there is food gathering. Yeah. Food so, gathering. But let's use the buddy system, but not so many buddies that we bring up enough food for everyone. What if our agribusiness had a great, like so many acres, Ben, so many acres of corn out there yeah. and, and wheat, mm. but we're only going to send two people out there. To harvest yeah. it. What do you th- yeah. what do you say about that idea? <laughs> it seems bad. Yeah. I guess it's a, a prospecting mission and maybe they send more people down if if this proves to be a worthwhile thing to harvest. It's only a couple hundred mouths to feed anyway. Yeah. The Sears Garden Center set is in full effect here. And Neelix is kind of busting Tuvox's chops about Tuvox's, Tuvox chops about his, uh, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm putting X's at the end of Tuvox's name. <laughs> Busting his chops about being sort of anhedonic, unable to enjoy himself and mm. just as much coming back the other direction as Tuvox kind of busts Neelix's chops about being obnoxiously friendly and good natured. We saw not too long ago how great of a vocalist Tuvok was. He busted out that song for the kids. Probably on the same soundstage. Put them right to sleep. And I don't feel like Tuvok wants to be pimped here into singing. Why don't we sing a song while we toil? He is not feeling like it. He is prepared to die for his crime. It might make the mission a little bit easier for him, though, if he could lull Neelix into a, a, a nap. That's true. Yeah. You know, I so, will continue this by myself, Mr. Neelix. <laughs> Coincidental to this, back up on the ship in the transporter room, they're having some problems with the transporter, but it's okay. Like, you got your two best transporter types up there. You know, everyone has their fingernails trimmed. We got yep. an Ensign Kim up there along with Skull Kogan, and you just do not want to beam through an annular confinement beam that's too tight. You want to loosen that baby up before a a transport, don't you? Yeah, you want to make sure that the anus is just right. (laughs) They turn the knob, they slide their fingers up the iPad, and uh, only one thing is materializing on the pad. It's neither 
Neelix nor Tuvok, but it's too late. And the camera cuts back to the transporter pad after we watch Kim and Skulk Hogan kind of go through a panic of realizing they fucked up. Mm-hmm. And there is a different man on the on the transporter pad, a man whose uniform is made out of a pattern that appears to be cinnamon rolls in a pan. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> but in a Starfleet style. Delicious bakery fresh cinnamon rolls. <laughs> and uh, and uh, that's the dun-dun-dun to theme. I want to say right now that this is the moment when this character turns around and reveals themselves. Yeah. This is the moment where you decide whether or not you can get with this episode or not. Like the degree to which you feel like the combination, the visual combination of Neelix and Tuvok is just silly as hell <laughs> or credible and interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Where do you fall on that? Or do you want to save that for the end? I think I might save it for the end. <laughs> wow, the suspense you, is going to kill me. <laughs> I'll tell you who is not interested in seeing one second more of this person is Kim, who is basically John Woo two dustbusters out from behind him and is like ready to cut this guy down. Intruder alert is what he says. I love this. This is absolutely the right thing to do. And I feel like I feel like a worse Star Trek script would not think to have the immediate reaction be suspicion and fear. If Tufix was Vidian Kim and Skull Kogan would already have been degutted. <laughs> like I, I think you got to throw up the the force field first yeah. thing, right? Yeah, I wonder does the does the transporter automatically disable yeah. weapons, or or is that something you have to do volitionally every time? I don't know. I mean, a a lot of questions crop up out of this scene. One of the questions I have is: it's Hogan's fingers on the controls, right? Is it yeah. Skull Kogan's fault? Does he have a transporter's guilt here? There are many people's internal struggles in this episode that I wanted to know more about, and that's one that I didn't even think of. Does he like go off and just feel like shit for the rest of the day? Like, Do people ah, treat him differently? I really blew it in the transporter room today. <laughs> Given how many transporter accidents there are in Starfleet, it seems like that would be a real hazard to the job. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's why Chief O'Brien always seems so haunted, right? Right. That and the memory of spending a lifetime in a jail cell with a man that he loved and then killed. Kim can't decide to uh, blow this guy away on the transporter pad or hold the dustbuster to his own head after seeing (laughs) what he's seeing. The question Uh, right off the top is, who is this guy? Yeah. And what have you done to Neelix and Tuvok? And this guy says, I am Neelix and I am Tuvok. And probably the funniest moment in the episode is when Skull Hogan looks down at the computer and he's like, yeah, computer says he's right. (laughs) (laughs) Checks out. (laughs) It's like the panel at the end of Crimson Tide. According to our review... He's both right and he's both wrong. <laughs> and Lipizzan or Stallions are born to Laxian, but they, they're black <laughs> Vulcans when they grow up. <laughs> uh, Tuvix smartly starts doing the parlor trick of IDing everyone he sees when he's in Six Bay, right? And this is, this is something, this is a technique that he's using to kind of chill everyone out. Yeah. 
telling them secrets that only they and Tuvok and or Neelix would know. I'm not dead. I'm me. Luckily, this is the only form of identification that the crew needs to determine that his side of the story is correct. Yeah. The doc agrees with the earlier bioscanner readout. The man you see before you is literally a fusion of two men. But he's surprisingly healthy considering the circumstances. But also... It's not just the two of them. It's also the orchids that they were collecting. This guy is uh, <laughs> one-third Neelix, one-third Tuvok, one-third flower. Don't tell Michael Shavon. What goes unmentioned is the Ziploc bag of cinnamon rolls that Neelix had <laughs> with him <laughs> to make that little flourish on his ne- uniform. Neelix brought a little snack down from brunch. Yeah. <laughs> Tuvix seems pretty happy to see Cass in this scene. Yeah. Cass, of, of all not people. so much. No. No, and this is, starting here, I found this to be an incredible Jennifer Lien episode throughout. It really is. Yeah, I mean, like, the connection she has with both characters is very deep at this point. Yeah. And I think one of the most interesting things about the episode is how little consideration some of the other characters on Voyager give her when this happens Mm -hmm. and how much that is like both really sad and also kind of true to the way the show has been written up till now. Like I kind of feel like if everybody had like tried to comfort Kess in this moment, it would have felt a little like saccharine and dishonest. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was kind of an interesting moment of the show kind of Writing in a way that was, it, it was, it's hard for the show to cover up the fact that she's been a little bit underwritten at best. And so it's, it's pretty honest about that in, well, in I, the way it's written. I want to emphasize your point even more. I feel like there is very little compassion to go around for the entire crew. And it really starts here. Tuvix is not treated like a person who has suffered from an accident here. Everyone, if they're even able to make eye contact with him at all, there's no affection in the look. And even Janeway looks at him with a kind of disgust that I was not prepared for. Yeah. I think part of what's informing that is that Tuvix is weird and doesn't seem <laughs> doesn't seem traumatized. You know what? That That is a great point. If he presented as suffering, I think the instinctual human... By the very name is racist gift of affection or sympathy or empathy would be appropriate and seen. But because Tuvix seems fine, maybe that's why. One of the most impressive parts of Tom Wright's performance is how much it kind of oscillates early on between hard Tuvox and hard Neelix. And then over the course of the episode finds a weird midpoint between them. But this first scene, he's like saying super Neelixy things and then kind of like turning on a dime and saying super Tuvoki things. And I feel like he really found the character in a way that is really impressive, given what a strange character this is. The secret weapon in Jennifer Lien's performance is that Kess likes everyone. And when she doesn't automatically like Tuvix, it really puts me on notice for the rest of the episode. Yeah. Because there's the moment here where they're like, why don't you take this thing, which used to be your lover, to the lab for study? (laughs) And when even Cass is disgusted by Tuvix, 
when she's nice to everyone, that really is, a, it's such a tone setter. It really is. And it's also a tone setter that she's just being asked to do that without anybody like giving any consideration to like where her head yeah. might be at in this moment. Yeah. Like, would you mind uh, hosing out the the area of the ship where your one and only lover was was atomized by some alien like it's, it's just a mess the down same, there we need you to clean it up and it's uh, the same ask yeah 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 tuvix is the one person that kind of recognizes that like yeah. in the scene he's like um hey i realize this is super weird this situation must be very difficult for you Kes. and she kind of brushes it off <laughs> this is the scene where he decides to give himself a name Mm-hmm. Also, the scene that for the first time we hear definitively that Doc Holliday has not been going by Schmollis. Yeah, this is he. Tufix basically throws this in Doc Holliday's face. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? In the in the three minutes since I've been on the ship, I think it's important to have a name, and here's what that is. Definitively, he initially comes up with Nevok, and uh-huh. then and then pivots to Tuvix, which is uh, the only way he can keep his Talaxian passport, as if he has an <laughs> X in his name. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Tuvix is the one commenting on how uncomfortable Kess has got to be, but it's Tuvix that should be uncomfortable while holding his arm at a right angle for the next 20 minutes that he has to while being scanned, right? Did you notice this? There's no armrest under him. He's just got to be like holding it out like he's the fucking RoboCop. Thank you for your cooperation. Good night. Even CVS has an armrest at their like... (laughs) Yeah, they're where, like where you get the blood, blood pressure, pressure cuff. cuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the doctor's log updates us with the news that he has not selected a new name for himself. He feels terribly hurt by the way Tuvix threw that in his face mm-hmm. and that they haven't gotten very far in figuring out how this happened or how to reverse it. So it goes unreversed and the captain comes down to to visit Six Bay to see what's going on and Tuvix is like, hey, uh, I would like to get back to work. I could uh, suggest either being the tactical officer or the cook. And Janeway's like, tactical officer, think, please, not the cook, not the cook. <laughs> <laughs> Things have been going great since Neelix left. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, kind of a traumatic event has happened to this person. And I don't know, placing him on the bridge might be a little premature. But he is going to get kind of eased back into things. And uh, what better way to kind of feel like you're part of the senior staff again than to attend a McLaughlin group? Issue one. It's a real bring your child to work day decision. Because, like, I don't know if you ever got brought to work, but, like, when I have been on both sides of the bring your child to work day scenario, Uh it is meetings, man. It is meetings when you don't need to have meetings. (laughs) Just to have a place to sit. Right. Can't ruin anything at a meeting. No, sure can't. And kids love them. (laughs) The victim of a terrible accident likes nothing more than to hear about that disaster that created it in a meeting they're attending while everyone's talking about them around them. Yeah. They have been talking the entire time about how to decombine mm-hmm. Tuvok and Neelix. How do we get them back? If they got to sacrifice Neelix in the process, that's fine. That's fine. We're willing to do that. But the first step in figuring that out is figuring out how they got combined in the first place. You want to make yourself a Tuvoklet? You got to crack a couple of negs. <laughs> yep. 
Wow, the title on this one is going to be repellent to the new viewer. <laughs> we know people are going to want to listen to this one, and I I just turned off all that goodwill. <laughs> Repulsive. Yeah. You know that greeting card that you would see occasionally in the 90s that would say, like, sex on the front, and then on the inside it would say, now that I have your attention. Oh, Yeah. Congratulations on the big promotion at work. Now that I have your attention, happy Mother's Day. <laughs> That's kind of how Tuvix behaves in this meeting. Sex. I beg your pardon. Tuvix's contention is that a process called symbiogenesis is responsible for what happened. Symbiogenesis? <laughs> symbiogenesis, science forbidden. <laughs> Sirs, uh, your voices are carrying. (laughs) (laughs) This is a process whereby a species will reproduce by combining with a different species and creating a third thing. Right. That's how this orchid maybe works. And in the transporter beam, Neelix, the orchid, and Tuvok all interacted and created And the cinnamon roll. And the cinnamon roll. (laughs) Excuse me. (laughs) All created... Uh, this third thing. This is the scene where you first really get a, a good look at the back of Tuvix's head. They smartly do not light the back of his head very much on this episode because when you do see it, oh, God. it it looks like a man's butt being held open. <laughs> <laughs> it it feels it it looks like not as wide goatsy. <laughs> With the wedding ring and everything. It looks like a pumpkin that's been rolled around in glue and hair clippings. Oh, it's so upsetting, the back of the back of his head. I hate looking at the back of his head, Adam. I uh, hate to see you go, but I hate watching you leave even more, <laughs> is what they say at the end of this McLaughlin group. Please don't go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that one thing that this episode does well is without getting super explicit about it, give you a sense of where a lot of the characters will stand on the ultimate decision that happens. yeah. Yeah. And one of those characters is Kess, who they break up this. McLaughlin group like we're, we're gonna get more samples and see what we can do and then Kess is like walking alone in the hallways and comes upon Tuvix and it is quite clear that she feels almost jilted by this situation like she has been abandoned by both her mentor and her boyfriend and I think that the implication that Kess could tear the ship apart with her mind is a pretty major consideration <laughs> Like, if she gets too mad, it's it's trouble. That is such a great call. I mean, had she rolled up on Tuvix, had Kess been behind Tuvix in the corridor instead of confronting him face to face, she's liable to freshen up the whole ship. This would have been the end of the series. Yeah. <laughs> she sees the back of that guy's head once, and that's yeah. it. And then you that cut to the three credits. Done. <laughs> This is a weirdly unmotivated beginning to the scene, though, because 
I thought that the scene suggested that Tuvix was just standing outside of Kess's quarters waiting for her to get home, but nothing about that is described. It seems as though Tuvix was just standing in the hallway yeah, with all that shit on him. <laughs> I'm so hot. <laughs> is he standing outside the, the mess hall? I, I don't know. Because that's where they go next, and it's it's mayhem in there. Like, everybody is in the kitchen. Somebody's eggs are burning. Those are mine. Too many cooks will spoil the broth. This is the definition of in the weeds, if you're a commercial kitchen here. Yeah, seriously. Uh, Tuvix kicks everyone out and starts whipping up dishes, and we, like, smash cut to after dinner service where Cass and Tuvix are cleaning up, and... He's really crushed the the meal. Like apparently a little bit of Vulcan restraint is what Neelix's cooking needed. Yeah, things aren't as piquant as they used to be. It's really remarkable. <laughs> Interesting choice and in shots here. I mean, both of them have been doing the dishes after dinner service, you know, like a good partnership should be. She stayed at her post. <laughs> And we get a shot of both of their hands after being in the water, and they are just totally raisined up (laughs) from the act of washing dishes for like the last 90 minutes. And it's one of the reasons I think that when Tuvix holds Kess's hands, she bolts because, ugh, it is nasty. (laughs) So clammy. Yeah. I was a dishwasher for a whole summer, and... uh, and you, it's it, it's easy not to tell when you have a tiny hole in a glove that goes up oh, to your elbows. Yeah. Yeah. And after a shift, I uh, whoop, one glove, <laughs> normal hand, and then yeah. on the other arm, whoop, other hand looked like Doctor Pulaski's face at the in that episode <laughs> where 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 she was made to age in an advanced way. Like it was skin was falling off of that hand. It was so gross. It was awful. Oh. I wanted to take it to the meat slicer after that. Every time I get into the damn thing, I'm convinced that's what's going to happen. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, buddy. It Look, but it recovered, though. See? Now they're yeah. as soft as ever. Oh, yeah, it definitely recovered, Adam. Looks great. <laughs> I've got to get that platinum, get that lodgement. <laughs> you might have heard us talk about Squarespace before, and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. 
We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. I've got to get that platinum. What now? Are you planning a heist? Gold. This isn't going to work out, clearly, between Tuvix and Kess. And my question for you has been, why is Tuvix forcing it so fast? His timeline seems to be internally motivated against a strange foreknowledge that that he's not going to be around long. I yeah, I wonder about this. I mean, I, so I'd say that the big hole in this episode, the thing in this episode that kind of makes me want it to be a two-parter so that we could get way deeper into it is what is it like to be Tuvix because mm -hmm. the interesting choice is that these are the two characters that are the most at odds most of the time like Tuvok fantasizes about killing Neelix they are as polar opposites as you can get aboard Voyager right and the one character that never unpacks this is Tuvix but like maybe he just fully loves Kess you know maybe it's like so hard for him to not Live, in, you know, I don't know if he half loves Kess or fully loves Kess, but like the one little lip service that we get to this is that he loves to pell Tuvok's wife back in the A quad and Kess equally. I could never forget to pell. I carry Tuvok's love for her inside me. But like, it's hard to connect to that part of the character. Like, to what extent is that a conflict within him is is hard to say. He wants to be ethically non-monogamous and <laughs> he just doesn't. <laughs> 
He doesn't make his case in a graceful way. No. Yeah. You can't just spring that on a person, Tuvix. Yeah. You got to do like, you know, start leaving some books around the house and then kind of... Ben, he wants to be logically (laughs) non-monogamous. Which might make a better title to the episode. Or like last line in the cap. Who knows? Right. I don't know who describes him as such, but someone describes Tuvix as the best of Tuvok and Neelix. And I thought that was such an interesting choice in character design for this person because it takes away the idea of Tuvix's suffering until the very end, right? If he's if he's all the way positive and all the way good at his job, you don't give anyone else a foothold that they would use to like dislike him or feel awkward around him or whatever. Kess is the only person permitted to really feel that way for most of the ep. Yeah, I mean, she is she is the character in whom that is given the most voice. I, I really do think that this could have been an interesting two-parter. I think from they like the... should have ran it to the end of the season, Ben. Like I would, yeah. I would go further than that. It's fascinating. Because we're seeing... Very little interplay between Tuvix and the rest of the crew, save for Janeway and Kess. But if what they do with the transporter to bring Tuvok and Neelix back also preserved Tuvix, I would really like to know how Tuvok and Neelix would treat this third person. Right. Yeah. And that's something that you could you could totally get storyline out of for several episodes. And that's like definitely the kind of thing like the show could be doing, like Mm -hmm. the misfits that we collect along the way version of Voyager that doesn't seem to quite exist is like would be very fun to like start to interrogate a question like that. Right. It does seem like Tuvix gets put on tactical eventually because uh, our next scene is with Chakotay and, and the captain finding him at the security station. Tuvix uh, walks down to where Paris is and, and tries to sit at his station and everyone who's sitting behind him is like, no, no, you, <laughs> you the back row for you. Back, of the, back <laughs> of the bridge, Tuvix. <laughs> I cannot be looking at that for an yeah. entire bridge shift. You will sit in the corner and you will face out. <laughs> <laughs> Tuvix is really good at his job, Ben, because he's yeah, using- he's crushing it. Intuition instead of logic only. I have often wished for the sense that humans call intuition or instinct. It's an adaptive trait, this intuition. Mm -hmm. They send BLT and Paris down to the planet to collect samples. And what they do is collect a bunch of flowers and they put them in a sample container. And I guess some of these are flowers that they brought down from the ship. And then they add the local orchid and they beam it up. And it materializes on the transporter pad as a Tuvix flower. They forget they shouldn't be beaming people from the surface to the planet. So <laughs> they beam up Paris and BLT. And what shows up on the transporter pad, Ben, yeah. is someone that they call Croque Monsieur. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> BLT yep. and Paris, Ben. I got it. <laughs> You know, Paris and BLT? Yeah. It's the bacon, but none of the tomato or lettuce. Right. And then you add mustard and cheese. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It was a good joke. I liked it. Whose responsibility is this to create the flowers and then the combination flower? 
just a set designer? Yeah. Or, prop or master? Prop master, maybe. I don't know. I really found this plant combination credible. They did a really yeah. good job with this. This would be a cool screen-used prop to own, right? It really would. One of those cool hide-in-plain-sights props. Yeah. So they, they beam this flower. They, you know, the flower is in six bay, and they're trying different transporter techniques to disentangle the DNA, and it's just they're, they're getting dead flowers left and right. Yeah. This sequence, I thought, really hit because you get like the music cue of, of positivity when they beam the container aboard, and yeah. then- Almost immediately, we when we transition to six bay, like we go minor key with the music, and then the doc looks at the clock behind the crew, and he like announces the time of death, right? For Neelix and Tuvok. RSVP them, uh, welcome aboard, Mister Tuvix. We end the scene on like a horrified Cass. Yeah, Janeway says she's gonna tell the crew, and uh, then they're gonna have a funeral, right? For both of them. Yeah. You got to do that. It seems it's, it seems only right, but it seems like Kess is the only one who actually observes this funeral. She's in her, her room later. Uh, she's lit a candle for both Neelix and Tuvok. And I feel like Tuvix is kind of pulling an Albert Brooks here when he comes in to his own funeral. I can't stand that all this praise is going to somebody in a box. You can't stand that the praise is going to somebody else. Is Tuvix a COVID hoarder? <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> Jennifer Lean's performance in this scene, I think might be her best work to me of what she does here because Kess's thank you when Tuvix says, you got me during a funeral that she's doing for Tuvok and Neelix is a form of thank you that I remember getting in high school after asking out someone out of my league. <laughs> like someone taking it as the kindness that it was intended, but also as a little bit of a fuck off, please. I'm trying to do a thing. Leave me yeah. alone kind of thank you. Thank you. But She is in no mood. Yeah. She does a great job of letting him down easy, but it's hard for both of them. When you get the soft letdown, you really don't want to double down and go with the I love you. It's a classic blunder. Uh, I thought he was going to try and kiss her on the mouth and she was going to be like, get away from me. But yeah. uh, he, he smartly kisses her only on the cheek. She's like, get out of here. But just yeah. sort of back your way out of the room. Do not, don't turn around. Just take, if okay, one just, more step back. No, okay. to the left. No, Listen, your left. Then then back. That's I wanna, the wall. I, I want our relationship to be about honesty, and the back <laughs> of your head looks like a old man's ball sack. <laughs> I just can't take it. You look like you should be under a hand dryer in the locker room of a gym. <laughs> <laughs> you look like you need to be powdered before going out on a hot day. <laughs> <laughs> you look like you're a lot longer than you were when you were a younger man. I think it's weird that it's sticking to my legs. <laughs> Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. Kess is pretty upset after this and goes down to see the captain who is also having a kind of sleepless night. Yeah. And man, like 
the last scene being one of Jennifer Lean's great performances so far in the series. I think this scene is one of Kate Mulgrew's great performances in the series because yeah. they sit and have this conversation about this thing that is like not quite grief, but is very sad and hard to deal with emotionally that everyone on the crew is experiencing of like, we've lost people that we don't think we'll likely ever see again, except for they're not dead and neither are we. Especially Ensign Kim. Right. Floating in space a few episodes ago. (laughs) Got some complicated feelings about that. Yeah. I wonder what he would sound like if uh, if we could hear what what his thoughts were. He'd probably sit there and say, Crap! I love that moment in the scene where Kess describes Tuvix's sharing of his feelings with her and Janeway's like, do you feel the same way? <laughs> and Cass is like, oh, oh, God, no. Oh, are you serious? Have you seen the back of his head? And the captain is like, honestly, earlier I was going to reach out and push your faces together to kind of force a kiss, but I didn't want to touch the back of his head, so I didn't. And it's had me really rethinking a lot of things. Yeah. Janeway compares her feelings to to those that the rest of the crew must be having. And this is a nice scene for her, like you say. But it also feels like the hope of getting back together with a loved one in your hometown, right? Like maybe you want to be considering experimenting with one or more people while you're away at college finding yourself. Like that's the Uh tension that everyone on the Voyager is feeling, the special person back home or the at college ready to experiment. (laughs) And she gives Kess this counsel in the hushed tone of someone ready to blow up the ship were she to see the back of Tuvix's head again. (laughs) But as it is, they they hug goodbye, which seems really nice for two people in their circumstances, right? But also, when do you hug your boss? I think exclusively in a moment that is this fraught. Yeah, exclusively in a moment where, where death has happened. Yeah. Yeah. After the break, uh, we get a captain's log, and it's uh, the rare musical number captain's log, Adam. It's been two weeks since he became two Vix. Now he's got jabs in both the mess hall and bridge. Five days since his uniform reverted to the standard issue Starfleet. Three days since the six-bay test proved we couldn't unbake the cake that is his body. But it'll still be two days before we kill him. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so that's nice. He's the best of Tuvok and Neelix, and specifically not the worst, Ben, which yeah. is interesting. He's cooking his ass off. He is better in meetings. He's funnier. He's less creepy. It makes him harder to kill the more useful he is. It's like, what if you had two of your worst employees combine into one great employee, but the back of his head was gross? <laughs> <laughs> would you would it be worth it <laughs> it's an impossible question Finn. it's, it, it's the can't. worst would you rather yeah we cut to kim's clarinet practice when the doc radios in about a theory he's working on and it's interesting enough that kim goes straight there Here's a question I had after this scene, Ben. Does the doc work as fast as the computer could, or is he constrained by the projection as a humanoid in terms of how fast he could work on a solution to a problem like this? 
And is he like more creative in the way he problem solves than the computer would be? I feel yeah. like are a bunch of interesting questions. I want to uh, see him go like, hold that thought. I'm going to turn myself off and like use all my cores. Yeah, yeah. To process yeah. this. Go in uh, low efficiency, high power mode. Yeah. Kim yeah, is really excited about the idea of solving this problem. It's yeah. They've had Tuvix around for a long time, so apparently Kim has turned on him as well at this point. Kim doesn't even drop that rag on the string through the clarinet and then pull it through to clean out all the saliva from inside. He just leaves the clarinet dirty. Yeah. And yeah. that's going to be gross as hell when he picks it up again. Uh, it's going to smell. It's going to smell like like 40 retainers stacked on top of each other. <laughs> you don't want that. Okay, so we know that Cass doesn't want Tuvix. We know that Janeway doesn't want Tuvix. We know that Kim doesn't want Tuvix. We know that the doctor doesn't want Tuvix. What about Paris and Chicote? What makes them hate him? Shoot a great game of pool. He's fucking savage at pool, Adam. He's fucking killing them every time they go down to... It's no fun to go to Sandrine's anymore. No, it's not. It's terrible. And he's fucking banging that gigolo, too. (laughs) (laughs) Jeez, he's great at everything. Yeah, he's bending the gigolo over the pool table, and the gigolo is like, well, at least I do not have to look at the back of his head. What's the thing that's more upsetting? Tuvix beating Chakotay and Paris at pool, or Tuvix bailing in the middle of a pool game and just like sort of rain checking it halfway through in order to sit with Cass at the tiny candlelit table. I think that if you're the guy with the stack of quarters on the edge of the pool table and Tuvix leaves Sandrine's, you're like, yes, I'm going to play the like worst guys. Yeah, exactly. Cass, after Tuvix sits with her, declares to him that she wants to be friends with growth potential. Yeah. And Tuvix is like, so you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> <laughs> also, there's some pretty big news down in Six Bay you might want to come down for. Yeah. Doc Holliday in Six Bay tells the story of barium, which is a drink I've had a lot of over my really? life, Ben. It gave me some sympathy gags here. Barium is the disgusting drink that makes the GI tract visible to x-rays. And if yeah. you're... Having a GI situation that merits a hospital visit, it's what you drink. And there is nothing worse than feeling- You should tell that to Diarrhea Ben. He could really <laughs> use some of that stuff. <laughs> no, I would never suggest this to Diarrhea Ben because the, the thing you want to do least when you're feeling tummy troubles is drink a disgusting thing. Yeah. I don't I understand I why this is the medical science. It's awful. Sounds like a goddamn Spanish Inquisition. The doc is like, we're going to use space barium on one part of Tuvix <laughs> in order to separate that out from the others. And yeah. uh, the flowers I've produced here will prove that this plan will work. How do you feel about this, Tuvix? Very close-up shot of Tuvix throwing the ethical wrench in the works. Yeah, he throws his ethical sabot into the doctor's plan. Hence the word sabotage. And the camera pushes in on Janeway as we go to commercial. When we come back, she is at the leaning window having a bum out, thinking about this ethical quandary and talking it over with Chakotay, who's... It's interesting because she kind of like trades Chakotay for Tuvix Mm -hmm. in this scene. So he's kind of like hanging out, helping her chew on this until she can meet with Tuvix one-on-one about this. Yeah, Chakotay's great counsel for her 
in a lot of situations, this one included. She expresses to him that Tuvix might have been there long enough to become permanent, or in other yeah. words, a statue of limitations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Hell yeah. fucking yeah. Woo! Statue of limitation. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. That's what we do on this show. <laughs> Adam is uh, in the process of trashing his recording studio. <laughs> oh! <laughs> my, my desk stuff really just went flying. Yeah. It's a big mess over there. My wife is on a just a totally professional conference call upstairs. <laughs> well, well, I'm destroying my office like I'm a rock band staying at a hotel room. <laughs> this is why she doesn't take my job seriously. What no. is there to be taken seriously? <laughs> the the main question here, Ben, yeah. at what point did Tuvix become a person and not an accident? The question is, is Janeway an anti-vixer? <laughs> this is the best wordplay episode we've ever made. <laughs> this is our finest creation. She is talking to him about like, hey, so like, I kind of want my guys back. And he's saying, you're going to have to kill me to do that. She might as well be turning to camera for this. I felt like this was a question asked of us, the viewer, at the same right. time. Right. Is this murder is the question of this episode. And it is stated very explicitly by Tuvix. And Janeway is like, listen, Tuvok was trying to execute Brad Dourif like four or five episodes ago. Like, right. I, you're, you don't exactly have a leg to stand on. Or at least if you had, if you had two legs to stand on, you're, you've eliminated one, right? <laughs> Yeah, to my knowledge, Tuvix has not attempted murder <laughs> since he's been a part of the crew. Yeah. Do you think he has one Neelix leg and one Tuvok leg, though? Oh, man. What does his fucking dock look like? <laughs> <laughs> you think the back of his head looks gnarly. Oh, man. Looks like a, a chorizo sausage with a... <laughs> yeah, where they've removed the casing. Yeah. <laughs> of course, it's locked in. Janeway phrases this really interestingly. She must speak for Tuvok and Neelix because they cannot speak for themselves. And Tuvix takes great umbrage with this, Ben. He's calling this an execution. There's coffee in the unfortunate predicament that we're all facing. And he makes a very persuasive case to her. And then we cut away before we can get her reaction to this case. I thought that was an interesting bit of timing there that you don't, yeah, the you only don't get to live in that in moment. The only resolution in the scene is when she says like, well, if you are half Neelix and half Tuvok, you're going to have to give me half of your pips because obviously you're not a full lieutenant in that case. Yeah. What happens to the pips? Another unanswered question in this episode. <laughs> Tuvix goes to, for some reason, the mess hall to ask Kess, beg, really, for Kess's help convincing the captain not to murder him. And while this is, I think, a good decision based on Kess's inherent 
kindness. She would rep Tuvix out of the kindness of her heart and like her good spirit. She is exactly the wrong person to ask for every other reason. Right. She is she's the person that is at the most risk of rejecting Tuvix because of what his existence robs from her. And she goes right to the captain. He's he's asking basically, can you go mm-hmm. make my case to the captain? Can you be another voice on my behalf? And she goes to the captain and says, This is tearing me apart. <laughs> much like you want to tear Tuvix apart. Oh hi Chicote. <laughs> <laughs> I love this sequence, didn't you? Like the way the baton gets passed. Uh, Tuvix has the scene with Janeway that ends with Tuvix talking to Kess that ends abruptly with Kess talking to Janeway right after. It's just cut, cut, cut. You don't see the transit, which I think emphasizes the desperation here, right? When you don't have time to think in between these scenes, you're just made to act in the same way that Tuvix is running out of time. Right. This is the centerpiece Jennifer Lee scene though, right? I, I mean, she gets a lot of great scenes and she is the, you know, in many ways, the kind of most emotionally vulnerable character on the show. And to see the pain that this is causing her is, I think the show is relying on that pain being enough to be persuasive against the next scene because the next scene is the kind of famous moment where Tuvix like walks onto the bridge and is taking his position and issues an order to Tom Paris, who is like, are we still treating this guy like he's around or <laughs> like what's going on? And soon enough, Janeway comes out and without actually saying it out loud, makes it pretty clear that her decision is needs of the many outweigh the needs of Tuvix. There are a lot of moments in this episode that don't make Captain Janeway look great. But one of the ones that stood out to me was before Janeway comes out of her ready room. It's this scene where Tuvix reports for duty and everyone except Tuvix seems to know that Janeway is making a decision right now about whether he should live or die. Yeah. And that seemed especially unfair to him that like, why the fuck is Tom Paris so in the know about what's happening at the very highest levels of decision making on the ship? That didn't seem right. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to know what to do in a situation like this. It seemed bad, but also humiliating. Right. And that humiliation plays out in this scene when Tuvix is begging everyone to get in the middle of this. Doesn't anyone see that this is wrong? A episode full of fabulous performances. And this is really gut-wrenching and hard to watch because the Voyager crew stand around kind of stone-faced while he appeals to all of them not to let this happen. And his last moment on the bridge is a moment of forgiveness, which is almost the most painful part of this. My colleagues, my friends, I forgive you. This to me is what this episode's ultimate message was. It was... By the end of it, I felt a great amount of conflict about the morality of the question. 
Yeah. But what superseded that feeling about the episode to me was the idea of sacrifice. And that's what Tuvix does here. He sacrifices himself for the wellness of the rest of the crew by forgiving. Yeah. And I think that the most complicated part of that is that it very much feels like a sacrifice under duress. Yeah. There's not like there's no there's no other option. They go down to Six Bay. Doc Holliday refuses to do the procedure, which well, is... Well, the doc refuses to do the procedure because it's death by hanging for some reason. <laughs> like, <laughs> like there's a, there's a gallows there, and yeah, they're going to beam him as soon as he hits the bottom of the rope. <laughs> <laughs> so Doc Holliday does have a point. He does, yeah. This is fucked up. <laughs> The procedure falls to Janeway, and I kind of think it should. I think it, it is if it's going to be her choice, it should be her doing the the deed. And she administers the space barium, and she runs the transporter program that they have set up. And uh, on the bio bed, we get a long transporter sequence that results in. Tuvix disappearing and Tuvok and Neelix reappearing. Tuvok is wearing his uniform and Neelix is wearing a bunch of cinnamon rolls around his genitals. <laughs> like it's a cod piece or something. And he says, oh, sorry, Captain. This is what I was wearing when uh, this accident happened. He's wearing cinnamon rolls on his body, like that scene in Varsity Blues with the whipped cream bikini. <laughs> he turns to the captain and says, I don't want. Your laugh. For as attention getting as the as the beam split is on the bio bed. Yeah. My attention toward Janeway was totally unbroken and that was intentional by the episode. You follow her around as she does the entire process herself. Yeah. And then after the the transport is successful. You follow her out of the room into the corridor where she gathers herself because she is not looking forward to dinner anymore. No. Nope. I guess Leola Root is back on the menu, boys. <laughs> yeah. She feels like shit after this, but like... There's a physicality to her feeling, too, that you really get a sense of. This is great stuff by Kate Mulgrew, right? Yeah. I mean, she, she, she gives no voice to this other than to kind of tersely welcome Neelix and Tuvok back, who, for their part... Do not seem upset by what happened. Do they remember? I they wish must. we knew that. Yeah. A big question in my mind is if they have this flower, shouldn't they be able to reproduce the effect if we get them back and they're like, no, you know what? Like better better the other way, you know? And what happened to Croc Monsieur? Yeah. That character just gets left on the planet. Yeah. <laughs> You know, though, like, if you pushed a button and got a million dollars, but somewhere somebody died, I would you button. push it? Is, like, I kind of the question that that Tuvix asks. Like, if Tuvix gets to keep existing, but two people die to allow it, is it worse than pushing the button to get two people back and Tuvix dies? I wish And listen, we Adam, this is not a good, this is not a good podcast to, to parse these philosophical questions we're idiots no it's not and we are <laughs> i've did you like the episode i 
love this episode. I think this episode is peak trick. Like it's such a wild sci-fi idea. It's so unsettling and so many people have so many different opinions, you know. Our friend Manu Sadia has a an entire Twitter account dedicated to justice for Tuvix uh, that I encourage people to follow because it's very funny. But what's uh, the handle? Justice for Tuvix. Okay, good. I think Kate Mulgrew has blocked this account, which <laughs> wow, is pretty fun. I don't like that. Don't harass people on Twitter. Uh, no, not. A, I don't think he harassed her. I think she just is like in on the joke. Mm. Jane doesn't funny. want to hear about this anymore. Yeah. But like, I think that the thing that remains compelling is like, I don't feel like I super strongly know my own mind on this one. Yeah. And the amount to which this will, this episode is willing to expose Janeway to accusations of having done the wrong thing is fascinating. Like our Star Trek captains never get exposed to that kind of accusation. And Frequently, when our Star Trek captains are subjected to a choice like this, they are permitted the the grand monologue, right? In order to articulate all of the of the sides of the argument, I think one of the things this episode does really well is it's very confident in the idea that the less Captain Janeway says, the better, because the less she says, the more questions we have in watching her act and make her decision here. I don't know what I would have done in Janeway's shoes. And I think that that is the thing that makes this an episode that is really fantastic in my mind. How about you? What do you think? It's a fantastic episode, Ben. But what's going to last with me for a long time is how ugly of a look it was for so many people on the crew. And I mean, like, literally. When people look at Tuvix, there is a level of existential dread baked into every reaction, as if they are staring into the abyss of what a life in Starfleet is like, and it stares back, and what they see is the back of Tuvix's head. (laughs) (laughs) Like, if, if if a back of the head could stare back... That's what they're seeing. Mm-hmm. And in that way, Ben, Tuvix is a warning. Because as the episode went on, the warning became about something else. If Tuvix resisted all the way up until that separation, it would have destroyed the crew. <clears throat> yeah. But that sacrifice that he made for them, I thought, really cements where the viewer is being asked to place themselves. Like, I think the episode has an opinion about how you should feel. And I think that... The episode wants you to feel bad for Tuvix and what makes you want to have justice for him. Mm -hmm. But in appreciating the episode as much as I do, and I do, I think this is one of my favorite Voyager episodes. It is very hard for me to forgive that they didn't grow this storyline over the course of several episodes or an entire season. Tom Wright was outstanding casting for this. And I mentioned this at the top of the show, like when Tuvix reveals himself, yeah, you blow the casting on this. For a moment, they they were going to go with Ethan Phillips as Tuvix, I read. Ooh, that would have not worked. <laughs> if you blow the casting, it's a fucking joke yeah. of an episode. But it's, because it it's is... Tom Wright, an actor with some gravitas, he makes you feel a certain way about his well-being as a character. 
And it's so hard for me to forgive like being robbed of an entire season where we get like a scaling love triangle between Tuvix and Cass and Neelix here. Yeah. And what that must be like. It's it's robbing the season Peter to pay the episode Paul. And if you don't know how much of a runway you got on a series, I get it. Like go for yeah. maximum impact late in a season like you're doing here. But I wonder if they knew they were going to get seven seasons, if they wouldn't have made a different decision about the Tuvix character. I think that's a fascinating thought experiment. And I think anybody that's a fan of Voyager wishes that they had more time with this character and more time with this conundrum because it it really feels... I know Manu th- thinks it's a, a pretty simple, simple math, but I don't. <laughs> it sort of takes the baton that I Borg started running with and yeah. and that baton gets passed to this episode fairly directly in terms yeah. of the the morality of a of a choice like this. I thought it was just outstanding and as good as I had heard that it was going to be also which is another degree of difficulty like I I was geared up for this and it yeah, did not disappoint. Yeah, like I've been wondering about how it would hit you because this was your first time viewing it and and it's like the famous episode of Voyager in many ways. Yeah, good stuff. Well, do you want to see if we have any good stuff in the Priority One inbox, Adam? I'm looking forward to separating the sender from the message. <laughs> That's an easy decision, Ben. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, we have a few Priority One messages here. The first one is of a promotional nature. It goes like this. Do you want Captain Janeway to answer for her crimes? Do you want Tuvix's murder to be finally avenged? You're not alone. Justice for Tuvix is a 100% free novel set in the Star Trek universe about one man's quest to see that the Federation charges Janeway for killing this unique man. Unique man. Unique man. Tin man. Enter the world of the late 24th century and see how one young man seeks out Voyager's crew and Janeway herself as a quest for justice turns into an obsession. Wow. So go to justicefortuvix.com today to read the whole novel for free. Holy shit. I want to know who this character is. Yeah. I wonder if Manu Sadia blurbed this novel. Wow. <laughs> Even though it's a, uh, a free fanfic novel. This, is, this may be one episode where I'm, where I'm actually looking forward to the response on the internet. <laughs> Most of the time, I do not look forward to it. But yeah, this is going to engender some strong feelings for sure. Yeah. Justice for Tuvix. The caveat being we're idiots and not claiming to be moral authorities of any kind. Yeah. Go take an introductory college logic course. If you wanna <laughs> if you wanna turn this one around. Uh, ben, our second priority time. one message is from Joe. It's to Sarah. The message goes like this. As I am writing this, you are defending your dissertation to earn your PsyD, which is uh, short for psychology doctorate, and become a fantastic therapist to all children everywhere. Wow. We'll know by the time we hear this, but here's hoping the defense goes well, Enterprise. (laughs) If your committee does not let you graduate, it would be a war crime. (laughs) Regardless, I love you. And I am so, so proud of you. 
Amazing. Yeah, so Sarah has all of our hopes here. Yeah. For successfully defending their dissertation. That is uh, important work. I wish I'd had a side D helping me out when I was a child. That would have helped. I mean, you so might be mu- a happier adult right now. So much of your college work been indefensible. So. Yeah. Indeed. Adam, our last priority one message here is from Courtney, and it's to Robert. It goes like this. Happy Father's Day, darling. Even though our sea monkey didn't get to be born, I know you would have been a far, far better father than Worf. I love you, honey bear. We're a little late for Father's Day reading this one out, but uh, that's uh, that's a very touching message. Wow. From Courtney to Robert. Yeah, geez. It sounds like a tough thing you two went through, but it sounds like you love each other tons, so... Uh, you know, that helps make up for something like that. Anytime you can make a wharf joke during a time of, of great trauma or sadness, I think you got to do it. Yeah, and, you got uh, to. <laughs> and, that's, and that's what we have here with Courtney and Robert. Our best to them. Yeah. Well, Ben, uh, these Priority One messages, as well as every Priority One message we've ever read, are created over at MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. And the submission of a Priority One message is one of the great ways that you can support the ongoing production of this show. So thanks to everyone who has. You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullying. I don't like friends. And I don't like you. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! My Shimoda occurs in the mess hall when the kitchen is in the weeds. Mm -hmm. And this is just a classic moment of... (laughs) We've got got the verbalizing of some food, specifically the eggs, that need to be turned. There's no no spatula there. She's like, just flip them. (laughs) Whatever. That's that's just one of the many things happening here. But in this scene, we've got Skulk Hogan, we've got dragon fruit, we've got a gourd, and we've got gherkins being passed back and forth in close quarters in the back of this kitchen. Yeah. What are they cooking with dragon fruit, a gourd, and gherkins? Really fucked up fruit salad. My Shimoda is everyone in the kitchen right now trying to make a meal out of those ingredients. This is like an episode of Chopped where where there's no way to make anything good out of these ingredients. So that that's yeah. my Shimoda. What about you, Ben? It's a real ready, steady cook disaster. Uh-huh. My Shimoda is in that scene on the bridge when Tuvix is making his emotional appeal to the crew. Janeway has clearly had some security people on call ready to go. Because yeah. they just kind of show up. Yeah. There is a lady and a gentleman, and they come onto the bridge out of one of the elevators. And my drunk Shimoda is the dude because he looks like he kind of missed his mark as he came off the elevator and almost ran into the other actor <laughs> as, as he entered the scene. Just barely doesn't plow into her. So uh, it was like a moment that kind of made me chuckle in the middle of a really fucked up emotional scene. And uh, it was distracting enough to get my drunk Shimoda this time. And yet, like, if you're shooting it, we got it. Moving on. We got it moving on. And also, like, I kind of understand why this guy would be a little bit unsure-footed in a moment like this. Good call. Yeah. So uh, I feel like it is emotionally unauthentic moment. Yeah. 
Good Shimoda, Ben. Good Shimoda by you as well, Adam. Uh, I'm going to head to gach.biz slash game and fire up the game of buttholes. The will of the caretaker. Looks like our runabout is on square 38. Not a thing in sight. Nothing we could hit. Oh, uh, I like that. Yeah. When, so, when can we ever say we're not in any danger? It's rare, but, uh, you know, it's one of those things. Like when you're in the D quad, you're rarely not in every, any danger, but it, it happens every so often and you got to enjoy those, those moments. Our next episode is season two, episode 25, Resolutions. After contracting a deadly virus, Janeway and Chakotay are forced into exile on a planet that shields the effects of the fatal disease. Well, I'm just, as a baseline, against any and all resolutions, Ben. I just believe you should do the best you can the whole year through. Hmm. Not try to make any grand gesture. You're not going to, like... On on New Year's Eve or whatever. You're not going to, like do three yoga classes and then beat yourself up in March when you realize that you haven't kept it up. We're all just walking each other home, Ben. Let's just try to be better to ourselves, all right? Okay. I guess I'll try. Hey, that sounds suspiciously like a resolution, Ben. You knock that shit off. (laughs) I don't want you to try, and that's my point. Okay, fair enough. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Did I win? Hardly. Adam, I have rolled a one. Oh. Just skipped our runabout onto square 39, Mm -hmm. keeping us in the safe zone even next time we play the game of buttholes. I like that. Ultra safe. That's us. Safe as hell. All right, Adam, this has been a very long episode, so let's thank all of the friends of DeSoto who make this possible by going to MaximumFun.org slash join. Let's thank the folks that recommend the show to friends. Let's thank the social media director of the Uxbridge Shimoda podcast family, Bill Tilly, the card Danny. Yeah. For running the greatest Trek Instagram and Twitter accounts. You want to talk about what we've said here? You have a, you have a take on this episode? Use the hashtag greatest gen. Have a conversation yeah. with the other friends of DeSoto. This week, we might look at it. <laughs> Uh, the music you're hearing is uh, made by Dark Materia, who granted us lifetime use privileges of his work. It's the Picard song. Adam Ragusea makes all the rest of our music, and we thank him at the end of every episode. Yeah, encourage you to go to Adam Ragusea on YouTube and check out his cooking channel. Go to Adam Ragusea's YouTube channel, justiceforTuvix.com. And with that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager, an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager, where we find out whether Ben and Adam are adherents of the J slash C movement. Make it so. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.